Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Catherine Ewan, Senior Scientist in Research and Development at Stem Cell Technologies. Dr. Ewan recently joined us for a webinar where she discusses how to set up DC and CD8 T-cell co-culture experiments and assess T-cell proliferation and activity. Let's jump right in. All right, so first question here, can we do a second round of CD8 expansion? Uh, yeah, so the answer to that, generally speaking, is is yes. Um, however, there are going to be probably some some modifications that you'll make. Um, by this point, you will have had already one round of enrichment of those antigen-specific CD8 T cells. Um, so you can probably get away with perhaps using fewer dendritic cells to drive those the next round of T cell expansion. Um, you may also want to change up, however, your, your cytokine regimen um, in the concentration that you're using. At this point, you may decide to use um, IL-2 to improve viability. Uh, the downside with um, subsequent uh, expansion rounds, though, are that uh, there's always the risk that you could exhaust those T-cells, um, and definitely you will be changing their, their phenotype to a very uh, effector-like uh, phenotype. So these are just some of the things that uh, one should keep in mind. Right. Yeah. Great points. Um, can I use positively selected T cells? Right. Uh, so we do get this question fairly uh, often. So let's look at sort of three scenarios then. Uh, if you're doing pan T cells, if you isolate cells using a CD3 positive selection approach, um, bear in mind that is going to interact with a component of the T-cell receptor, and there's a, a pretty good likelihood that you're going to see some basal level of stimulation. Um, if you look at CD4-positive uh, T-cell selection, CD4, of course, is expressed on other cells besides T-cells, uh, so you may end up with contaminating things like monocytes, for example. CD8 is particularly problematic. Um, as CD8 can also be expressed on NKT cells as well as uh, NK cells. Um, and so these cells will basically use the same cytokines and, and all the growth factors that you put in there as your antigen-specific T cells, and you're actually adding even more competition to the system. So I would kind of recommend that you don't do that. Uh, the negative um, isolation techniques are really nice. Um, they're very pure and they will get rid of a lot of those contaminating um, and potentially problematic cell subsets. Fantastic. Yeah, great answer. Um, all right. Uh, what are some other DC maturation approaches? Well, um, it, it kind of depends on what you're using as a source to begin with. If you, uh, you know, decide to go for the, the blood-derived dendritic cells directly, um, so the CDC1, the CDC2s um, do respond and mature to different uh, danger signals and, and respond differently to cytokines. Um, so while a lot of people will use, like I say, a TLR9 agonist of some kind, because that can be used sort of across the board. Um, however, others don't want to use that and are more specific to the subsets of interest. So... Um, like a CDC1, perhaps you're using a TLR3 agonist or something like that. 
Um, however, if you use the model site derived indirect cells, of course, you can also play around with those um, maturation signals as well. Um, what I've known from my own experience, depending on what I'm using, you may see differences in co-signatory molecules. Um, some cells become a lot stickier under some um, maturation cocktails, um, and so it can be harder to work with. So at the end of the day, it, there's there's a lot of diversity out there, which is why we give customers the option of, of even using their own uh, system. Excellent. Um, nice question here. So when working with cytokines, what are some considerations that we would need to account for? Right. Um, well, most... Um, Publications, including our own, um, recommend using cytokines in concentration of nanograms per mil. Um, now, the thing is with cytokines, of course, is it's not so much the concentration that's necessarily the key, is it's the biological activity. Um, and so you have to be very aware that if you change sources of cytokines or even different lots of cytokines, if you're using it at the same concentration, you could still end up with slightly different biological activities. So um, when I'm planning experiments like this, I, I try to plan ahead so that uh, the cytokines that I'm using are from the same source and even the same lot to reduce that variability. Fantastic. Um, nice question here. Are these processes applicable to mouse-derived cells from blood and tissue uh, single cell suspensions? Um, generally speaking, the system can be used in mice. Um, however, most people will get um, their myeloid sources from bone marrow. Um, and these are called bone marrow-derived dendritic cells. And so these are the ones that are most commonly used um, in the literature. Um, and then, of course, you can need a, a source of T cells. Again, it's you're going to get a lot more cells if you probably tap into things like spleen, for example. Um, but overall, um, the idea is similar, however, the concentrations of your cytokines, the duration of your cultures, um, the, the, the things that you use for DC maturation um, may be somewhat different than what you use for the human system. Thanks, good question. Yeah, great. Um, and now are iPSC-derived DCs comparable to MoDC in this co-culture system or better? Um, I'm, I'm going to say I don't know because I've never done the head-to-head -head comparison. Um, it, a lot of that might depend, of course, on your DC differentiation system from um, iPS cells. Um, some people will take an approach of uh, the PSE to a monocyte and then use potentially even somewhat similar signals as peripheral blood monocytes to get to the final DC stage. but um there's a lot of nuances and a lot of different approaches to that so that right now all i can say is you, you would have to try it yourself perfect um all right Catherine, do you have any tips on activating naive cd8 t-cells um well i would say that the monocyte derived dendritic cell approach that we have um does work reasonably well. So in the technical bulletin, we're actually, um, in fact, trying to expand naive CD8 T cells that are responsive to the MART1 peptide um, um, on the HLA-A201 uh, HLA background. 
Um, and so this is where the addition of IL-21 has definitely been beneficial. If you don't add it in there, you will definitely see a difference in your, your final yields. Um, you can also, of course, um, use an actual naive CD8 T-cell isolation kit um, to enrich, I guess, potentially on those very, very, very rare um, antigen-specific T-cells rather than using a pan-CD8 T-cell um, population to start with. Fantastic. Um, all right. Is there a way of minimizing increased expression of activation markers like CD154 and CD69 during expansion of CD4 T cells, particularly during expansions taking more than seven days? Um, let's see, I'm not sure if I've followed all the kinetics of this in my experiments before. Um, I mean, the antigen-specific T cells themselves um, should have a, have a kinetics to them, um, as long as you are not throwing in a whole lot of other activation signals. So if you just have the DC and the CD4 T cells, the first three days, you will probably see a peak expression of the CD154 and CD69. However, when you add some of these expansion cytokines, it's possible that some of those will come up again. Um, so um, right now, I, I can't definitively say that, um, other than for to watch things like um, sources of serum. Like, I don't use any, and sort of take that variable out, because if you're using FBS, you're always going to be triggering some level of basal activation. Um, and monitoring your, your cultures and making sure that they have room to expand. And uh, what you should actually see is a lot of T cells probably dying off at some point because they haven't had that antigen-induced uh, activation and survival signals. So that's, unfortunately, it's maybe the best I could do with that question at the moment. Excellent. Um, how is the DC T-cell co-culture different or better than just doing a regular one to two week PBMC expansion uh, by treating the PBMCs with peptides or antigens of interest? Right. Um, so actually, if you're starting with a memory T cell population, uh, such as CMV, uh, I have successfully been able to expand uh, those CMV reactive T cells just using a PBMC approach. Um, however, you don't tend to quite get the same level of yield at the end of it all. Um, naive T cell responses, however, definitely are going to benefit from the DC T cell co-culture approach um, as those those DCs are, are, that's what their job is, is really to prime naive T cell responses. Perfect. Um, all right, uh, which culture media is used during co-culture and does this affect the phenotypes of the other cell types? Um, so we were using the Aminocult uh, XF T cell expansion medium. Um, we, we successfully use this and recommend this to, to people with the CAR-T cell workflows as well. Um, it's possible that modulate, but using different uh, mediums that you could have some impact on the final phenotype of your expanded T cells. Um, I can't say I've done any head-to-head -head testing of that. So that would have to be something that would that would need to be tested head-to-head, -head, I think, to under, better understand those, those differences. Excellent. Um, 
how can the biological functions like antigen presentation or phagocytosis of human MDCs be affected if we used positive selection of the CD14 monocytes without release of the beads? Right. Um, so during development of our immunical DC uh, differentiation kit, um, our team did look at both the negative selection from, from monocytes as well as the CD14 positive selection approach. Um, both of them will give you, you know, fairly nice DC, DC cultures in the end and the expression of IL-12. Uh, the big difference I think that we noted in-house here is that the yield um, tends to be much higher with the negative um, isolation approach compared to the, the CD14 positive approach. However, um, both of them will ultimately get the job done. Okay, excellent. Um, so uh, what would you do if you didn't see the expansion of the CD8 T-cells? Right, so there's, there's a number of things that, that could have happened there. Uh, you may perhaps did not get um, very viable DCs in the end, or they failed to mature into DCs. Um, certainly there's a number of ways that you can, or approaches you can use to, to determine whether or not that was an issue. Um, so after the DC differentiation stage, you can stain these uh, DCs then for uh, the presence of CD83 as well as co-stimulatory molecules. Uh, they should have downregulated CD14. Um, you could also collect the cell culture supernatant at that point and, and look at IL-12 levels. So that would all be signatures of the, the differentiation process for some reason did not work. Um, for the antigen loading thing, this is where actually I like to use a positive control such as the CMV peptide pools. Um, so if you have individuals that have mem circulating memory T cells um, that you're using in your uh, co-culture systems, um, they should respond quite well to uh, the CMB positive peptide control pool. Um, so the, these are sort of like the things that I do to, to monitor for those particular aspects. Excellent, great answer. Um, all right, this person writes, hi, have you ever done, uh, have you done phenotyping of DCs at day five of differentiation uh, before adding maturation con uh, the, before adding the maturation cocktail? and what phenotypes would they have? Um, so they should have downregulated CD14 by that point. Um, however, they will likely be CD83 negative and will have much lower levels of co-stimulatory molecules and MHC um, levels compared to those after the maturation system or um, step. Excellent. Um, what concentration of IL-21 can you recommend to add for priming the antigen-specific CD8 and at what timing? Uh, so I added in at, right at time zero of co-culture. Um, in the protocol that we um, have, are making available uh, to our customers, we have a technical bulletin coming out. Um, I've been using 30 nanograms per mil final concentration. Um, However, that, that also might be a play, place where you need to optimize things just a little bit depending on, uh, on your model system. Perfect. Is the method of co-culture the same for monocyte-derived DC and the circulating DCs? Um, yes and no. <laughs> um, the circulating DCs, like I said, they're very rare, but they also tend to be quite fussy. 
um, and sometimes you will find that they will crash out on you. Um, you also may, depending on what kind of circulating DCs you're working with, um, that will also dictate what kind of maturation steps that you take to get them to that final antigen presenting stage to prime T cells. Um, so in theory, they're somewhat similar. However, your DC to T ratios might be different. And like I said, I, I do find them more challenging to work with in terms of keeping them alive and happy. Excellent, thanks. Um, we have a few questions here about different combinations of co-cultures. Uh, one is asking about a system for monocyte and NK co-culture. And then another asking about a DC and CD for positive T cell co-cultures. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll speak more to the CD4 uh, T cell co-culture. Um, overall, you can kind of use a similar system to what we've seen for CD8s. However, um, there are some differences. Um, again, CD4s will have different sensitivities to cytokines, so you will might have to play around with that a little bit. So you, you may not use exactly the same concentrations that we use for the CD8 uh, co-cultures. Um, of course, they're also going to be more responsive to antigens on class two. So uh, your source of antigen is, is also going to be different. And that antigen processing step might have slightly different kinetics than, than a peptide approach as well. Um, uh, CD4 is also can, express more abundant levels of cytokines such as IL-2 all by themselves. So there, there are definitely nuances um, between the two T-cell subsets. Um, full disclosure, I don't think I've ever done a DCNK co-culture before. Um, but if I were, I, I might follow somewhat something similar to what I'm doing for the CD8s, except without the, the antigen present. But um, I would say, yeah, you're, you're kind of up for a lot of optimization there because um, only some of it might be actually translatable between the CD8 and NK systems. Right. Yeah, great points. For artificial antigen presentation systems, what, kind, uh, what cytokines would you think are most necessary for the naive CD8 T-cell uh, expansion? And I think the IL-21 priming would still be beneficial unless, of course, your antigen presenting, uh, your artificial antigen presenting cell is doing that itself. Um, however, if you still are going to need things like uh, an IL-15 or an IL-2 um, approach in order to then expand those uh, antigen-specific T cells. Um, and of course, Everything, once you change up your antigen in your model systems, I mean, there's there's always going to be still some, some level of optimization that's required. Perfect. Um, all right, what, which inoculum of monocytes do you find most suitable to produce MO DCs? I've been struggling with losing lots of cells along the seven days, uh, seven day period. What inoculum? Um, I'm not sure if I'm quite clear on what the question here is, but um, we do have, uh, with our Aminocol DC differentiation kit, uh, there are tips and tricks even within that that you, that you could play with. We generally seed ourselves at one times 10 to the six cells per mil. Um, and then um, we, we do replace the at day three. 
um, without too much disturbing of, of that monolayer. Um, and then finally, then you just add the DC maturation supplement right to everything without removing anything. You can also plug in your, your peptides at that point as well. Um, so once we seed our cells, we don't do a ton of manipulation, which is probably helpful for them. Um, so any ways that you can sort of minimize um, the manipulation is probably going to be helpful for them. Excellent. Um, is it possible to do an expansion of dendritic cells in particular? Um, I'm going to say probably not on that. Um, yeah, DCs don't, they don't tend to proliferate. Um, so if, if you start off with a, you know, a monocyte population, um, generally your yield of that monocyte to the final DC stage is going to be somewhere between probably 25 to 50% of the cells that you started with, um, depending on the donor. Um, and whether or not it's a fresh source, a prior preserved source, um, all of these things can, can come into play. Right. Um, all right. Uh, which things should be kept in mind when doing CD4 mixed lymphocyte reactions with tissue-derived DCs? <laughs> um, well, again, that's that's a very challenging uh, application. I think again, you're you're going to be uh, challenged um, on keeping those tissue-derived DCs happy and healthy. Um, of course, tissue-derived DCs can also be a very heterogeneous mixture of dendritic cells as well. Um, so not all of cells are going to respond equally to your maturation signals. Um, and not all of them are going to be equally suited for T-cell priming. Um, so it's a very challenging system, and I've never actually done it myself. So I don't feel it's, I'm probably the best expert to, to speak on that. Excellent. Well, to the person that asked that question, best of luck with your work. Um, <laughs> So when working with class one HLA, does it make a difference to use DCs or any other uh, nucleated cells? Um, so for the, the T cell priming um, part, your DCs are still gonna be your best choice. Um, however, um, you may have picked up during the secondary stimulation to look at things like interferon gamma production or even the killing assays. Um, those were not done on DCs. Um, so once the naive T cells or even memory T cells have been primed, um, you don't necessarily need to use DCs as your source of uh, peptide presentation. Um, at that point, you can you can then explore other types of you know presenting cells. At that point, perfect. Um, all right, can I use just one immunocult medium? Well, um, I can say that the, the protocol that we have in our technical bulletin um, is, is the most optimal um, approach. So that is the DC maturation is in uh, one media and then the T cell co-culture is in a different media. If I ha absolutely had to pick between the two, I think I would probably go with the immunocult uh, XF for T cell expansion um, because that is going to be the most suitable for your T cell priming, activation, and expansion. Excellent. Um, so as you mentioned, DC, DCs and T cells should stem from the same donor. 
Uh, could you say any words about allergenic CD4 mixed lymphocyte reactions? I think this is coming from maybe the same person. Any pros or cons or, uh, you know, I mentioned challenges. Yeah, so allergenic cultures, um, that, is a, that, that is a different system for sure. Um, first of all, most of us have relatively high levels of alloantigen-specific T-cells in circulation because they were not eliminated during the T-cell um, selection process in their thymus. Um, so you're generally starting with a relatively high frequency of alloantigen-specific T-cells. Um, and they're, I mean, the allo system is really potent. Um, and so uh, I certainly have noted that I don't need as many DCs to get things going. Um, and you may, you may even change up your, your cytokine regimens there as well. Really reduce or not use a lot of cytokines at all. It just depends on what your, your final readout is going to be. Um, so um, the only other thing I think that you need to keep in mind, especially if you're using human uh, systems here, is that if you have a responder CD4 population and you stimulate it from cells from three different donors, you will likely get three different, very different responses. <laughs> so uh, not every stimulator population, depending on their uh, HLA repertoire and whatnot, is going to give you exactly the same amount of reactive CD4 T cells. Fantastic. And I think in the interest of time, we'll just have one last question, maybe a forward facing question. So um, are there any new upcoming developments or new research avenues opening up that you're particularly looking forward to in the future? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I've been, was actually reading a, uh, a review fairly recently on DCs and immunotherapy and whatnot. Um, and I think it's no surprise that if you've been uh, you know, looking at the whole COVID-19 vaccine approaches and the use of uh, LNPs and all these sorts of things. I think this is a really interesting area going out uh, in the market right now. Um, I think we do have probably few customers who are uh, looking at this or more effective vaccine approaches. So I, I actually think that one is, is a pretty cool area right now. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.